Uh, Sandra Bullock played one in uh, 28 Days. Michael Keaton portrayed one in Clean and Sober. Meg Ryan gave a harrowing performance of one in When a Man Loves a Woman. In fact, there are numerous films and TV shows which have been made about drug addicts and alcoholics uh, and their recovery at rehabilitation centres. But very rarely do they tell the story of the staff, the counsellors, the coaches and therapists tasked with treating the clients in their care. Well, this morning we meet Bobby Jean-Jacques, who works as a recovery coach at Prospect Hill Recovery Centre to find out just what goes on uh, in a day in the life of an addictions therapist. Bobby, welcome to the show. Hello. Hello, Sarah Jane. Thank Thanks. you. Thank you for having me here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming in. It's, uh, it's great to have you in. Okay, so essentially what we want to find out, uh, and there will be a lot of people out there who, for whom, in fact, I would say probably 90% of people yeah. for whom in some way addiction has touch their lives, whether they are the friend, family member, whether they have struggled with substance abuse or alcoholism themselves. Would mm. you say in, in your experience that's true? Yeah. Six degrees of alcoholic separation? Well, I would say even more so. I mean, in my experience, I can't remember anybody I've met in the recent, in the recent past who has not been affected in some way by addiction and alcoholism, whether it's substances and or behavior. Wow. So yeah, I would yeah. up that even. Okay. Yeah. And, and you are a recovery coach. That's correct. Yes. Okay. We'll talk about what that means and, and what you do in, in just a minute. But give us a bit of your background. How did you come into this into this field? How did I come yes. into the, well, the recovery mm. landscape? Mm. Well, through various different paths. I think my, as long as I can remember, one of my primary interests has been in, in the human condition. Yeah, I've always been that guy that people will gravitate to and talk to. And talk to honestly and authentically. So, oh, that remained there. And, um, I studied in that, in that degree. I studied, um, a degree, an, an honors degree in psychology and I studied life coaching. And I think most importantly, what really led me into the addictions recovery industry is the fact that I myself am a, am a recovering addict hmm. of some 10 years or so. Well done. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> so, and what is so interesting is that, you know, and I've spoken about, uh, I tell sort of anecdotes about my time in treatment and I've spoken very yeah. openly about my, my addiction and recovery. Um, and for a number of the, certainly my experiences that a number of the therapists, counselors, call them what you will, who were in the treatment centers, yeah. plural that I was in, mm. um, Many of them were also recovering addicts. Right. Um, and it tended to be that from the point of view as us as uh, clients, as they like to call them nowadays, but yeah. inmates, as I call them in my book, um, we would relate much better to those counsellors, therapists who were in recovery or who we knew had walked a path that or, we had walked than simply people who were of the book. Of the book, okay, and trying Academia, to... science... Okay. Which isn't yeah. to say that they don't deserve credence, but I think that we found that sense of you know where we've been. You know where we've been. Yes, hundred percent. And that I mean that is a phenomenon, and I think it's very helpful having walked that road. Um, I was sort of thinking about this on the way here, and I, and I suppose the one way I could try and explain it is because of the paradoxical nature of being an addict. Mm. You know? It almost takes one to understand one to know one. You know what I mean? As as an addict, I can completely understand when someone else says to me, "I'm totally motivated to do this recovery thing. Uh, there's absolutely no way that I'm going to take another drink." And oops, look what happened. Yeah. 
Yes, and I don't know how it happened because my best intentions are telling me not to, and then some part of me hijacks me and makes me have this drink, and I get that. Mm. I can get how that can happen, and I think it's very challenging for someone who's not been in that position to actually understand that because it's a paradox. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that is, I guess that is why, f- why family and friends of, of addicts often struggle with that. Because yes. I, I've, I've run out of the times that I, you know, I've either sat with, uh, with people who are in, who are in recovery or, or going into recovery and their friends and family who say, I just don't understand why he or she won't stop. Why can't they just stop? They've lost everything. Why can't they uh. do it for their kids? Why can't they do it for me? I get that question many, many times, and that's why it's so important to involve families in any recovery process. Mm. You know what I mean? Like the, the standard question is that exasperated mother or father going like, why is my kid like this? Mm. He's not really like this. I know he's a good guy. Why is he behaving in this way? How come? Why is he lying? Why is he stealing? Why is he running away? Mm. Yeah. And I think the one thing that I find most powerful to say to families is hold your breath. Take a breath of air in right now. Hold it in like this. Hold it there. 10, 20 seconds later, I'll say that urge that you're getting to breathe now, that's the urge that your kid is getting to use heroin. Just start to understand this. You know what I mean? So if he's being reactive, you know, and if he's really acting out, it's, it's in it's it's in combat and pursuit of this addiction, Mm. not you, not the relationship. That is such a good example. It works. That is such a good example. So just briefly talk about your, your using history. I mean, how, you know, okay. people always want to know the, the, the horror stories, as we call them, um, the war stories. How bad did it get? The gritty bits. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so this is vast. I, I think what I want to do is create some, some select items. Sure. Yeah, some select items. Um, I, I used, well, it starts with alcohol as it does with anyone, you know what I mean? I was that, I was that shy kid who found alcohol sort of loosened me up and allowed me to feel like I was, and note this, connected, Mm. connected with other people around me and that I belonged, Mm. yeah. And it led to all kinds of drugs. I mean, I went through the, 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 um, ecstasy phase. Alcohol remained all the way through there, um, and then the cocaine, uh, crack phase. Okay, that's the one that's, uh, you know, if people ask me, I'll say that's what really, really brought me to my knees. Yeah. Yeah. Because there comes a, there comes a time and there comes a stage where there's, there's only a very, very small authentic voice left in, I think what Gabor Mate calls the realm of hungry ghosts. Hmm. That's what addiction is like. It's yeah. like being a hungry ghost. Exactly. You want more and more and more and it all falls straight through your body and you mm. can't hold it. Yeah. Where there was only a very small authentic voice saying to me, you're trampling all over your own values. Yeah. You're trampling all over what it means to be human to you. But I can't stop. And what was the, what was the step that you took that brought it to an end at that point? I was actually talking to someone about this today and it wasn't, it wasn't one step. It wasn't one thing. It wasn't one rock bottom. There were many rock bottoms. You can always pick that rock up and you can dig another hole in it. Oh, absolutely. I was the master of that. Believe you me. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so, so forgive me if I'm not going into the horrors. No, 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 no. But we can talk about that. (laughs) The, it was many things. One was the, I think the pain of being, of living in addiction was more than the, the pain that I probably had to face if I stopped using. Mm. 
Okay. It got, it got to that stage. Mm. Um, I also happened to speak to someone in, in the work that I was doing at the time who sort of offered him a swig of the bottle and he said, no, no, thank you. I'm an alcoholic. I said, like, really? And you're not drinking? He said, yeah, you don't have to drink if you're an alcoholic. And wow. he told me about what that's the, a revelation, it isn't was a it? Revelation. When you, yeah, <laughs> he told me he told me about the rehab process, and it kind of like you know that settled the seed in my mind. So I started thinking, hmm, this is possible, yeah. And he wow. said, well, you know, this is how you can do it, kind of thing. This is this is a way in. This is you can speak to. So that kind of sat there, and then probably the last person who wanted to maintain a connection with me in my life at that stage was saying, "Sorry, Bob, that's enough." Yeah. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Mm. So, so the outlook was bleak. The outlook, outlook was very bleak. But despite all of that, despite all of that, mm. I would continue to use. I mean, can you get that? Can you explain that? Not I easy. can't. Ex- I can't explain can't it. Explain, I still can, can't explain can it. Twelve years it. later, I absolutely. I, yeah. I know it. I know it. I know that thing of this will be the last time. Yeah. Or. Sunday evening, that used to be my thing, Sunday evening, from Monday. Every Monday was a new thing. Every Monday, I'm going to stop doing it. Yeah. I'd get to 11 o'clock on Monday and that would be it. So, in essence, I found my way into rehab Mm. 10 years ago by an odd confluence of events. Yeah, someone was saying, I've had enough of you. Another person was saying, this is how you can access it. You go speak to this person. Maybe they're going to lend you the bucks. And uh, I stood at the door. It was actually an HR office at the place I was working. I stood on the door, in the mo- at the door of the HR office on the Monday, and I tried to walk in, and I couldn't. My addict was saying, no, sorry, Bob, you're not doing that. Mm. Yeah. I came back the next day, and I literally ran through the door. And I said, this is what's going on. Can mm. you help me? And I said, yes. I said, cool, let's go for it. Wow. Yeah. And like that, that was... Yeah, that was that. That was that. That was it, you know what I mean? And that, that rehab process gave me those those three or four... Those, Actually, it was only three weeks at that time. Those three weeks of sobriety that I needed for some of my humanity to kind of rekindle in me. Some of my, yeah. So let me ask you, and, and this is, you know, I, as I've shared before, I went into rehab. I was lucky enough to be able to afford to go into rehab. Um, do you think that everyone who is looking at any type of long-term recovery needs to go into rehab? I think it's a valuable resource if you can access it. Mm. Yeah. Although there are, I think it was, I think somewhere in, somewhere in the big book actually it says there are many roads to recovery, all of which are to be celebrated. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think in terms of the brain hijacking, the neurological hijacking that happens in addiction, mm. where for all intents and purposes you lose your, your will. Mm. Mm. You can't, you can't do, you can't summon up will to get yourself, to get yourself straight and straight and narrow and clean. Is that re, the closed environment of rehab provides that opportunity to give you enough of a, of, of, of a gap from your substance to, to get some traction in recovery. Mm. Um, but it's, it's definitely not the only way into recovery. There's, I mean, the, the, the fellowship, the NANAA fellowship is a widely used resource. Um, it's a very valuable resource. Look, it's the biggest club on the planet. It yeah, is. It is, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's great. You know, exactly. <laughs> and it's full of fantastic people. Mm. Oh, yeah. mad as a box of frogs. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think to get into recovery, probably what 
is important to recognize and to realize is that there's no dimension of life that addiction does not affect negatively, right? My Myself, what I think about myself, my social world, my people, my environment, my job, my career, my bank balance, my legal problems, and my physical health, yeah? It's all affected, mm-hmm. okay, negatively. So in order to give recovery a fighting chance, it, it asks that I address and make positive changes in each and every dimension. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And I think sometimes we're just going to rehab kind of gets it wrong because you go to rehab, it corrects you in the physical dimension. Yeah. You'll, you'll do some work on self. You'll learn some coping mechanisms, so on, but you leave rehab. Okay. You still got the same group of friends. And three weeks later, the debt collector is knocking on the door. Because you haven't addressed those because environmental, consequences. <laughs> you haven't addressed those environmental and the social yeah. aspects, and that can start the whole addictive cycle up again. If you are just joining us this morning, my guest in studio is Bobby Jean Jacques, and he is uh, a recovery coach and one of the directors at uh, Prospect Hill. What do we call it? Prospect Hill Recovery Practice. Recovery Practice uh, in uh, in Weinberg, and we're talking uh, this morning about uh, essentially a day in the life of uh, a recovery counselor. But uh, or recovery coach, and we're we're learning about um, Bobby's own addiction, own own demons that he had to that he had mm. to combat uh, in order to get to where he is today. Do you find that as a recovery coach, people and I sort of touched on this earlier in terms of my experience of being rehab, that your clients or people seek you out and they are more inclined to become your clients when they know that you too have been through the ringer. As it were, yes. Yes. Um, most certainly, um, because there's 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 an understanding of the of the contradictory nature of the compulsion of the the ambivalence, the will to get clean, but also the the the, the almost inability to break the bonds of addiction. That I think only once you've really been. Um, down that rabbit hole can you actually appreciate so with that in mind how does it work in terms of and i know that 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 counts or certainly i know that the counselor patient relationship client uh, yeah. client, mm. client relationship um has to have uh boundaries so how does that work with you as a as a recovering addict who is a recovery coach because mm. is it not useful for you to share some of your own experiences which for somebody who isn't in recovery might if they were to start sharing bits and pieces of their lives might be overstepping boundaries and ethically questionable well you know i i, I think in, in in the practice they call it use of self mm. and it's so vital because part of the the um how do I put it the what is found as be research has actually shown what is the most effective thing in any uh c- client therapist relationship is not so much the tools that they use not so much the modalities not so much the theories but the the potency of the or the vitality shall I say of the connection the relationship itself mm. yeah and you can't have a relate you don't have a connection with someone without sharing without sharing mm. yeah so i find that clients experiences certainly they will evoke feelings in me mm. they'll they'll evoke you know there's 80 to 90% of my clients that i speak with uh for them 
addiction, or what evolved into addiction, uh, started off as the best way to try and manage the trauma that was going on with them. Mm. What It was a solution. The use of substances started off as a solution, yeah, mm. which turned out to be a problem of its own. Mm, yeah. mm. So um, in... If I'm vulnerable in a session, I can show to the, I can almost not show, but I can, I can model for a client that being vulnerable works. It's okay to be vulnerable. Mm. It's safe to be vulnerable. And it invites that client to also be vulnerable. But how do you, how do you, um, draw, because, because there's, there's being vulnerable, um, and as you say that, the bound, the boundaries, because typically as addicts, we are very unboundaried people. Mm. Um, presumably, you know, and the idea for me, one of the the idea of my recovery, essentially, one of the the foundations is yes, don't take drugs and and don't do all that kind of stuff, but Mm. boundaries put back and I have had to learn and it's been really difficult. So how do you find that balance between being vulnerable and being accessible Mm. and also maintaining boundaries? If I were to put a general rule around it, okay, which is quite not an easy thing to mm, do, mm. It, it is that I can, I am here as a partner to facilitate you accessing all the resources that you can do, okay, all the inner and outer resources. We call them recovery capital, mm. yeah, and I can show them to you, and we can talk about them. But I can't do it for you, mm. yeah. So, whenever a client is wanting me to somehow rescue them. From where they're at, mm. yeah. That's when I take a little bit of a step back, as it were, mm. you know, an imaginary lean back in my chair, yeah. So that, in a way, that they will come to the understanding that, yeah, sure, I'm there, I'm walking the path next to them, not in front nor behind, mm. yeah. Mm. Uh, who are the Does that pe- answer your question? No, absolutely. Who are the people that come and see you? At what stage are they at typically, or okay. is that typically is not an appropriate term, probably? Well, let's just call it, uh, I like to call it prehab, mm. rehab, mm. and posthab. Okay. Okay. So typically about uh, 20% of my clients see me prehab. In other words, they're aware that there's a, there's a problem that exists. They're kind of thinking about doing something about it, but are pretty ambivalent. Yeah? So uh, is it that they may have, may have been pushed, uh, urged towards you, maybe? You will get that as well. Mm. You will get that as well. You know what I mean? You'll also get various kinds. You'll get people like, oh, I really need to do something about this because my life is going to lots of damages. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there'll be ones who will say, you know, I really don't feel like I'm living up to my potential. Uh, and I go, oh, that's interesting. What, what might be getting in the way? And there'll be a whole lot of other things, and then there's kind of going to be one that comes up eventually as well. You know, it's it's all the whiskey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's all the whiskey. Yeah. yeah, and then there will be people who are mainly younger people, really, who are pushed into rehab. Mm. Yeah, you know what? Which also works, by the way. Pushing people into rehab. It also works. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for but me. the trick is what it for you. Okay. So there's the prehab people, okay, and the main thing that I engage with with them there is resolving the ambivalence, figuring out, doing the pros and cons, mm. looking at what does it actually look like, what does this recovery terrain look like? How do I traverse it? That kind of thing. Yeah. Mm. Um also being aware of all the time of what like Gabor Mate is a Canadian doctor mm. and, and, and speaker. He he asked the question. He says the real question should not be why the addiction, but but why the pain. Mm. 
So all of being aware of what the underlying issues might be mm. with regards to any co-occurring disorder. Yeah. So now that's, which means that I'm then probably working with other professionals on this person's treatment team. I'm going for the point here a little. So. No, no. Yeah. So that's the kind of prehab awareness. Okay. Okay. What, and then in that case, I'll be helping a person with, because I'm a recovery coach, I'm more proactive, equal partnership with a person looking for a way for solutions. Mm-hmm. And the way forward is how do we put together this recovery plan that's going to then involve all of these different dimensions of your life? Yeah. What does it look like? Yeah. What does it look like physically? What does it look like emotionally? How good is, how good are you? What's your emotional, or how good are you at understanding what you're feeling? Yeah. Mm. I'm always acutely aware of that because I mean, I think 90% of relapses happen as a result of unmanageable emotion, mm. untenable feeling. Mm. So that's a skill that really should be taught to us in school, but it isn't. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? There's that awareness is how are we going to develop this aspect of you as a human being? Mm. So there's, you start feeling out what it looks like. Most of my clients are post-hab. Okay. Okay. So fresh out of, fresh out of rehab, gotten clean, which let's, let's be honest is kind of the easy part. You got to rehab. Listen, yeah, I mean, I I, hey, ha- no. I hate saying that, but but you're right. I mean, but the yeah. first five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten days are hideous, of course. Yeah, of course. But, but the actual, yeah, mm. looking back now, twelve years later, yeah, the last twelve years have been hectic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stay, really, there's yeah. no, you know, staying clean is the real challenge. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean, that's what my my tagline. If you look at my on my business card, is is Create a life worth staying clean for. Exactly. You know yeah. Because I mean? that's kind of what it's about. Yeah. 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 Okay. So that's, the, the, that's getting clean is the easy part. Then you come in. Yeah. Yeah. Then, then, then I come in and then it's a partnership with the person. Okay. So again, my uh, cognizance is to, this is going to be an equal partnership. Whatever plan we look for a way forward has got to be something that's personally relevant to you. Mm. Okay. It's got to be personally relevant because that's what's going to, that's what you're more likely to stick to mm. with regards to your life, you know. Um, so it'll be creation of a recovery plan, looking again, what are the person's resources? And again, it's inner and outer resources. You know what I mean? What sort of finances are available? What's the family support like? What's your, what's the social support looking like? How are you going to access those things? Mm. Are there any resources that I can perhaps help you, help you access, you know, take you to your first meeting? Do you no. do all of that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I don't, I, I, I figure that just sort of working one on one and chair to chair is very helpful, but I take coaching a little further out of that. You mm. know what I mean? It's like, what career do you want to get in? Okay, cool. I tell you what, let's make some calls and let's get you to shadow someone in that career. Hmm. Yeah. I see what you're saying now that, that you are a recovery coach yes. as opposed to a counselor. That is, that has, that's become much clearer for me. Okay. Um, yeah, so, so I understand, I understand that a, a great deal more. What's the biggest challenge for you in your job? I think s- the biggest challenge for me, and now I want to sort of dig deep here and be honest, is, is, is I, is I ask myself the question, am I, am I doing all I can with regards to helping this person in recovery? Mm. Yeah. Do I, do we need to widen this a little bit? If so, how do we widen this a little bit? Mm. Um, and another challenge is, and this is the reason that one goes into supervision as a coach or a counselor 
is that, um, you know, every day I'm hearing quite st- traumatic stories, mm. shall we say, uh, that are people are telling me about their, about what's happened to them in their lives, you know. And of course, you know, I remain present and focused and non-judgmental and stirred, but there's always a piece of that that rubs off and stays, stays mm. in me and stays with me. And so what do you do with that? How do you, manage that is it compulsory that you see some that you are yourself in therapy or in some kind of well we call it supervision right so in other words i'll talk to another counselor who's in there and um i actually use quite a revolutionary process i literally shake it off there's a process called trauma release exercise right okay which is probably it's a subject of a whole talk on its own. Okay. It's something we're actually studying at the moment in terms of my professional development and it's a somatic or bodily way to access your body's inbuilt and innate capabilities to shake off trauma and to shake off stress. Wow. Yes. You're right. That is a topic for a, that's it's, a separate topic. It's a, yeah, that's, that's, that is a separate We'll get topic. you back on to talk about that. Yeah, but can, that's yeah. how you, yeah, that's that's, that's, that's what I use to regulate my nervous system, as it were. Yeah, you know I mean, my mind and my body that work together. Do you ever find it triggering um, hearing uh, people talking about using, which I'm sure they do graphically at points? Mm, yeah, uh, for triggering for me, I I think what I did is I put some good old proper aversive therapy work right in the beginning of my. Um, of my recovery mm. where I created certain icons of things that I had done while an addict okay mm. that that if that if I think about them now they literally turn my stomach okay there's like a visceral mm. there's a visceral reaction so it kind of got and that I think was one of the most valuable things in staying in recovery for me because it got to the point that when I thought about using my stomach turned over mm. Mm. and I couldn't. Yeah. 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 It must happen in your job and, yeah. and I'm sure that it's difficult to deal with, but it must happen that people don't stay clean and they relapse sure. and yeah. bad things happen. Sure, sure. How do you sit with that? How do I sit with that? Um, how do you not take it on? Uh, how do I not take responsibility yes, for exactly. it? Yes, exactly. It's practically impossible to try and to take, to take responsibility for that. You know mm. what I mean? Because relapse is an integral part, I think, of the recovery process. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, call, call, you know, call me an inveterate optimist, but for me, relapse is a learning opportunity. Mm. Relapse is, oh, here's my chain that I've created in recovery. I relapsed. So one of those links are that, where's the link in that chain that is the weakest? Relapse can often point to that. Do you believe that serial relapses can eventually find recovery? Yes, hope. Mm. Hope. Interesting. Isn't, yeah. 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 Mm. Listen, it's been. I could. I could to. speak. I could speak if to you all night. I think. I think. You know. I think it's. It's. It's personal interest of mine. But I think it's. It's as fascinating to people who uh, haven't had any direct experience. But as we were saying at the, at the beginning, that's not a great many people. Um, just tell us a little bit about uh, Prospect Hill. Prospect Hill Recovery Practice um, is a collection or a grouping of a lively collection, shall I say, mm. of counselors and therapists in in Weinberg. Um, I'm one of the directors there, and 
you know, I was trying to think about it on the way, but the collective amount of years of experience is actually quite phenomenal with the people there. Mm. Um, we are multidisciplinary, you know, and it's almost like everybody is involved in addiction and recovery in some way, but we'll have someone who's specializing in, 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 in sex addiction. That's Mark Emmerich. We have other people specializing in recovery with families. Uh, codependency recovery. I'm the recovery coach. There are groups run there. Um, it's the kind of place that when clients walk in, they will say, it feels really good here. Mm. It feels like this is a place where I can find healing. And many have. Mm. Um, so we, we established ourselves as a PTY about two years ago. Um, 10 partners, directors, and we are, we've got a vision for 2020. Mm. And that's, it's quite vast and it really incorporates how to spread recovery ethos and recovery help further and to the people that really, that really, really require it and really need it. Yeah. There's going to be people listening in now, Bobby, who either are, uh, have heard your story and can yeah. relate, uh, to it directly there's going to be people listening in who've heard what you've said and said this person i know mm. needs help what yes. would your advice be to them in this moment in this moment is pick up the phone and phone uh phone prospect hill or, or phone me directly and we can guide you to perhaps to what you're needing um but access a professional don't go and talk about it down the road over the picket fence Okay, to the neighbors, because too little knowledge in this can be, can be harmful when it comes to how to engage recovery. Mm. But if it is that you are a person who's needing help right now, or you know somebody who's needing help right now, and is, and who's willing to look for it, is really strike while the iron is hot. Because this addiction thing is so devious. Mm. You can say, help me now, and tomorrow it can say to you, look, everything's okay. Yeah? Mm. So, pick up the phone, phone Prospect Hill, on zero two one seven six one nine zero four nine, or you can phone me. My name is Bob Jean Jacques. On zero seven six nine 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 three eight four eight, or you can go to prospecthill.co.za. Great stuff. Ah. Yeah, good. Thank you. It's been great to have you in. Fascinating chatting to you, and uh, yeah, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you for the invitation.